Well, we, we are certainly excited just to be here today and to worship with you. And as Eric said earlier, we uh, are supported so generously by the 55,000 Southern Baptist churches that exist across this nation. And as your church has existed, you've given to, your church gives to the cooperative program, which supports the International Mission Board. You give to Lottie Moon. And so any stories we have to share with you, you have a share in that gospel ministry with us. And it is a true blessing. You will meet people one day that we have had the opportunity to lead, to believe, and to disciple. That you had a share in because you supported us through your giving and through your prayers. And so it's been a real honor. We have spoken at, I don't know how many churches that we've been up here in New England for the last year. We've spoken at a lot of churches, and the vast majority have never had an IMB missionary come and speak. And yet they've supported faithfully for eight years, ten years. And so truly, we're very, very thankful. And so it's just it's an honor to be able to come and, and to speak to you today. So my wife and I, so we moved to this country in East Asia uh, nearly 19 years ago. And uh, we decided ahead of time that we were not going to be moving into the capital city. We wanted to move a little further out into the countryside in order to, uh, it was about four and a half hours away. It was because we knew that there had not been any missionaries in this area since 1937. So it's 2004, January of 2004. We move into this big country, moving in, and we knew no missionaries since that time, no church activity. And so we decided, let's move out to a small town. And so it was just us two, no children yet. We had our two suitcases. Uh, two, I think we, we have two apiece. I think we had two apiece. I think so. We always max, max out the, the suitcases, right? So back then you can get 70 pounds of suitcase. Now it's only 50. It's brutal. I mean, like, man, trying to carry stuff around the world. So we flew into the capital city. We were totally on our own. At that point in time, we spoke, we'd studied Chinese at the University of Oklahoma for three years, and so we had spoke a little bit of Mandarin. And so, uh, but we were on our own. No one was there in the capital city. They didn't tell us how exactly to get out to this place. We just knew there was a bus station on the east side of town. Get on a bus or go there. You know, we thought, okay, go there. We'll get on a bus and we'll just head out. And we go there and they said, yeah, yeah, buses leave every 30 minutes. Just buy a ticket. You can jump on the bus. We said, great. So, uh, you know, for those of you who, who, you know, you use a smartphone now, right? But back then, can anybody, can I get a witness to Lonely Planet, right? The Lonely Planet book that they used to have. This little, it's a book, and it told you everything you needed to know, like hotels and like little towns and which buses. We were living in a place, this was not mentioned in Lonely Planet, okay? We were so far off the grid, it was, you couldn't find anything about it. So we're on the bus, we didn't know where, we didn't know where we were going to stay, we didn't know anything. And so we're on this bus, and we're talking to this guy. He's a math teacher at the high school, at the high school in the town we were going to. And we said, is there a hotel? He's like, yeah, yeah, right across from the bus station exit, there's a hotel there. Uh, you can check in, because we were foreigners. And so you, foreigners could only live in, only stay in certain hotels. And so we said, okay. So we show up at this hotel. It's been a long day. We've been traveling. We get there. We put our suitcases down, and we look out the window, and there's a walking street. And a walking street's very important because it means there's no cars that can drive on it. And so people are out there kind of milling around and talking and we're like, well, it's our first time here. It's, we're tired. It's like 8 o'clock at night, but let's go ahead and get out on the walking street. And so we go out there, and we're walking down this road. Now, you can imagine no, we're the only two foreigners that live in this town of about 80,000 people. And uh, people are, thankfully, before smartphones, they're kind of like they're staring at you. Some people like actually look at you, and they turn around and walk the other way. Some people are scared of you. I mean, they've never seen a foreigner uh, before at all. And so we're there, but then we're walking down the road, and all of a sudden, this young guy comes up to me, and he was like, oh, in English, you're a foreigner. 
And I was like, that's right, I'm a foreigner. And I, he's like, wow. He's like, and you speak English. I was like, yeah, yeah, I speak English. And he was like, he's like, I'm Robert. And I'm like, hi, my name is Josh. And he's like, oh, I'm a student for this school here, whatever, and yada, yada. And we just start talking. And it was great because we, we got to know Robert pretty well. And uh, he was a really friendly guy. And so we, you know, when, when we look back, it's like we, we met Robert. And then um, a few days later, so we got together with Robert the next day. And then he brought some friends, and then we got together with his friends, and we just sharing the gospel with him. He had heard a little bit about Christmas, heard a little bit about Jesus before, but didn't know really much about it. And in the course of the next week, uh, Robert came to believe. And then a couple of his, his friends came to believe. And one of those girls brought three friends, and they came to believe. And we're there. Within about two weeks, we're sitting there, we're going, wow, there's like eight or nine students that have come to believe. This is really quite amazing. No missionary since 1937. These people are coming to believe. We're just right off the bus, it feels like. And we look back, and you're like, okay. Uh, we were on this bus. We met this person who told us to stay at this hotel. We got there at this time. We're on this walking street at this point in time when Robert was there. right? I mean, you just look at all these incidences. I look back at that, and I think, Jesus knows his sheep. right? He has his sheep, and he leads us in a way that we're on mission with him to call the sheep to, to believe. And so that's what I really what I want to speak with you about today is I want to look at John chapter 10. So if you will open your Bibles with me to John chapter 10. And we're just we're going to look at verses 7 through 18. We're not going to read the whole the whole passage this morning. But John chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. All right, I'm going to read the passage for us, starting in verse number seven. So Jesus again said to them, talking to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have, no, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We pray for us this morning. God, we thank you for your word. It is life. It is like drink. It is like food that just satisfies us in every way. And so we thank you again for your word in our own language that we can read and understand. Thank you for the education to be able to read and to hear and understand. And we pray now that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would affect our minds and our hearts and it would lead to a greater love for you, a greater love for our neighbor, and just a greater desire to continue to sacrifice and die to self. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin looking at verses 17 and 18, even though it's the very end. Jesus is very clear in this passage that he's going to lay down his life for the sheep. 
so that they can be saved. So when we look at 17 and 18, he says three times the phrase to lay down in reference to sacrificing his own life on behalf of the sheep. So this means he's clear that no one is actually going to take his life from him. He is not the victim of the religious leader's hatred. He's not the victim of Pontius Pilate's cowardice. And he's not the victim of his disciples' abandonment. If you are familiar with the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, there's a time when Peter and Paul had been released from jail after being threatened by the religious leaders and they're gathered together and they're praying. And they say this prayer in verse 27, Acts 4, 27. It says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. And they're praying to God here to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So the people who plotted against Jesus did so according to God's plan that God had predestined to take place. God the Father gave the authority to the Son. He gave the power and the right and the command for Jesus to lay down his life and then to take it up again. This authority means that no one does anything good or bad outside of God's control or his providence. Our shepherd had authority over his own life, both to lay it down in sacrifice for the sheep, but also to take it up, being the first fruits from the resurrection. So I wanted you to see from verse 17 and 18, Jesus clearly has authority over his own life. But I also want you to see that there was a necessity for him to lay down his life. And we're going to look at verses 7 through 15 now. So I'm going to back up, go back to the beginning. We're going to start in verses 7 through 10. In verses 7 through 10, Jesus calls himself the door for the sheep. That is, he is the door that no one else has ever been or ever will be. He is the door through which the sheep can enter and be saved, and they will be able to go in and out and find pasture to graze. Anyone who came before Jesus, as well as anyone who came after Jesus, and tries to convince the sheep that they are the door to being saved, well, they are a thief and a robber. These people come not to be saved and give life to the sheep. But as in verse 10 says, they come to steal and to kill and to destroy. So it was necessary for Jesus to come to the earth because he's going to provide. He's the door of salvation. But then we have to ask the question, well, what did he do for the sheep? If he's the door, if it's necessary for him to come, exactly what did he accomplish? Well, Jesus came to die in order to gather his sheep. And we see this in verses 11 through 15. In verses 11 through 15, we read that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And so first Jesus contrasts himself with those who are thieves and robbers and who would harm the sheep. But now Jesus is going to contrast himself with a hired hand. The shepherd owns the sheep. They are his. The shepherd cares for them deeply. So when danger comes, the good shepherd will do everything that he can in order to protect the sheep. But the hired hand does not own the sheep. And so when he sees danger coming, he just takes off. He runs away. He abandons the sheep. The sheep are scattered and unprotected and the wolf comes in and kills them. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. And in verse 14, Jesus makes a very interesting statement that I want you to notice this morning. Jesus says in verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So what does it mean for Jesus to say, I know my own and my own know me? Well, if we read a little bit earlier in, 10, 30, in, in John 10, 3, 
we read that the shepherd calls his own sheep by name. That is a very, it's a very intimate idea that out of 7.8 billion people that live in the world, of all the people who are the believers within that 7.8 billion people, he knows the name of every single person who is his sheep. We do not need an intermediary to go between us and Jesus. I didn't grow up in the Catholic tradition, but I've learned a lot about it since then. We do not need an intermediary between us and Jesus. He is the good shepherd and knows each person of his own by name. Have you ever thought about how God listens to millions of prayers in any given second in thousands of languages? That, that, that is a mind-blowing thought for me. I only speak two and a half languages. And if I have more than like two children speaking to me at one time, I don't understand anything. You know, right? If you have one children talking and another one starts talking, it's like, you know, it is really quite an amazing thought that our Father understands. In addition to Jesus knowing us by name, we know him by name. And maybe this is the point that I want to emphasize a little bit this morning, is that this, my own know me, it implies that there's no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Because his sheep know him. I know my own, my own know me. They know his name and they know him. There are some people in the church that believe if someone who hears the gospel and rejects it, then they'll go into eternal punishment forever away from the presence of God. But they also believe that if someone just simply doesn't hear the gospel, well, then they kind of get a pass. But what we find is that it's not a biblical way of thinking Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. So the idea that someone can just simply not hear and have a free pass, it has to be rejected as unbiblical, simply on the basis that Jesus is the door that the sheep go in and out of, and his sheep know him. He knows his sheep. So it was necessary for the shepherd to come so that the sheep could know him and follow him. So we hear about Jesus's authority over his own life to lay it down and take it back up. We hear about his necessity in order to come so that the sheep can have a door to go through and to know who that is and go in and out. But I want you to see, now I want you to see a little bit about Jesus's impact. Jesus has brought reconciliation for the sheep. Well, the reconciliation is between the sheep and the father. But we have to ask the question, who exactly are the sheep? Where are they from? So look at verse 16 for me. John 10, 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. First, I want to address the implication that you see here in verse number 16. The phrase this fold refers to the nation of Israel at the time when Jesus was living there. So by saying the idea that I have sheep that are not of this fold, the implication is that there are sheep who are from the fold of Israel. And we can see this in the book of Acts. Pentecost comes, 3,000 believe, 5,000, you know, then the total number of believers is 5,000, and people are just believing all over the place there in Jerusalem and Judea. So we see that there were sheep who were from the fold of Israel. They listened to Jesus. They followed his voice 
But second, the truth that Jesus is giving here would have been scandalous to the Jews. There are sheep that are not of this fold. You mean there are people that are going to belong to you that are not Jews? And at that time, the Jewish people, they were dominated by the Romans, right? They were looking forward to a Messiah who would come and kick out the Romans, who would come and reset up Israel as the dominant nation in the world. From the beginning of the nation of Israel, there had been non-Jews who joined the nations. We can think of people like Ruth, right? She joined in the, the nation of Israel, became an Israelite, but it was still the nation of Israel being established as God's kingdom that the Jews were looking forward to. But Jesus here, he was pointing to something that was different. He was pointing forward to a time when there would be one flock and one shepherd that would be Jews and Gentiles together. So, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. I want to read this for you this morning. This is the Apostle John. He's writing in a vision, right, of the last days, and he sees this. He says, I saw, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and all peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The picture that we see here is of a multitude of people that the human eye, that the naked eye could not count. But what could be quantified, if you will, this multitude of people, it was composed of different skin colors, different hairstyles, different worship styles, different languages, and they were one flock. They were crying out together that salvation belongs to their God and to the Lamb. And then we read in just a few verses later in Revelation 7, 17, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. It's kind of ironic thing, right? The Lamb is the shepherd. Like we get it because Jesus was the Lamb who came to die for the sins of the world, but he is the good shepherd here in John chapter 10. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, this one flock, and he will guide them to springs of living water. So here we see Jesus, our sacrificial lamb. He will be the shepherd. There'll be one flock and one shepherd, but the flock will be gloriously diverse. And it would have been a scandalous idea to the Jews of the time because they were so looking forward to the Jewish nation being established. And then Jesus says here, I must bring them in. Excuse me, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And I love this phrase because it shows Jesus' desire and his intention toward his sheep, who are not yet a part of the flock. He's saying, I must bring them in also. I will bring them in also. The idea that in the future there will be some who come in, and we see his intention, his desire. And part of the reason I love this is because this is talking about you and me. When Jesus looks forward to the sheep who are not yet part of the flock, who will come in, I don't think anybody here is Jewish today. And if you are, great, no big deal. I'm not Jewish. This is talking about us, the Gentile world, the non-Jewish people. He intended, his desire and his will was to bring us in. Our shepherd purposed to bring us in. And because we are his, we will listen to his voice. He knows us. He calls us by name. He leads us out. We follow him. He gives us abundant life. He protects us from thieves and robbers who only want to harm us. The shepherd's impact still continues on today to save us Gentiles. And all of this is promised to his sheep. And so one of the questions that I just want to stop and just pause and ask are, are you one of his sheep? 
You see, you've heard part of the good news today, that Jesus has come, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross to take punishment for sin, he was resurrected on the third day. But how can you understand and believe good news if you don't understand the bad news? Good news is only good news if you understand the bad news, if you see it in light of the bad news. Now, it's certainly not bad news that God is creator and ruler of the universe, right? That's not bad news. That's just news. That's just part of how God has made the world. He is holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin, which every single person has ever committed who has lived. So when we think about God's holiness, and then we take his justice, and you go, okay, well, he is not in the presence of sin. He must punish sin adequately and fully in every way. And then you add in humans who are sinful. That's bad news because that equation means you're separated from God forever away from his presence. That, that is bad news. When you take the good news now that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. When you take that, now, the good news is truly good news. I, I can guarantee you, if someone would come up, you know, if I told, like, say, for example, Eric, here's Eric, and he's walking down the road, and I just come up to him. I've never met him before, and I say, we have a cure for Parkinson's. We have a medicine for that. It's like we can totally reverse everything in the brain, six months. It's like you never had it. Eric's like, wow, that's really interesting. You tell that to my dad? But that's, that's good news. That's really good news. And so until you understand, so people ask me, Josh, what is it? What do you mean by preaching the gospel to yourself every day? When I get up in the morning, one of the first things I do is I preach the gospel to myself every day. And all I simply do is I say, God, I reflect back on yesterday and I deserve hell forever just for yesterday and how I didn't thank you like I should. I didn't enjoy you like I should. I didn't love you like I should. I have an idol of of respect. I have an idol of appreciation. I have an idol of ease and comfort. And my heart tends toward those things. And I get impatient with my wife and angry with my kids and these, all these ways here. And I deserve punishment forever in hell. And yet, the deeper I understand my sin, the deeper your grace goes still more. Thank you for that. And, that, and, and so I look, at my, I look at the bad news. And then I look at the good news. And wow, it's so much, it's so much more glorious in light of the bad news. So I would encourage anybody every single day to be preaching the gospel to yourself, which means there's no sin that God will ever expose in your heart that hasn't already been covered by grace. You can confess that. And he, it's an amazing, amazing God that we worship. So if you are not his sheep, I would just plead with you to consider the bad news is really bad news, but the good news is truly glorious. And to believe in it, you find eternal freeing everlasting life. Today, the voice of the shepherd is calling. Right? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If anyone, the offer of salvation is given, is offered to everyone without caveat. So when the shepherd calls, his sheep respond by faith. But I also want to challenge us this morning because his sheep also make known his voice as ambassadors and as proclaimers. So we hear the voice of the shepherd, we follow him. But then I want, to, I want you to listen to what 2 Corinthians 5, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're one of his sheep, I want to encourage you with this this morning. 
It says that God has reconciled us, that is the church. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That means that we are ambassadors for Christ. By the way, my master's degree is in Bible translation. And so I, uh, I'm, still, I'm still quoting the scripture, but this is maybe a Josh English translation here, okay? That means that we are ambassadors for Christ. I think it's 13 through 17, if I'm not mistaken. That means that we are ambassadors for Christ and God has chosen to make his appeal to the world through us. Maybe it's 17 to 21. Anyway, it's there. You'll find it. Verse 20, thank you. So God has reconciled the church to himself through Jesus Christ. He's given to us the the ministry of reconciliation. That means that we are ambassadors for Christ. God has chosen to make his appeal to the world through us. An ambassador, I mean, we know the term ambassador, but just think of for a minute, what is an an ambassador? An ambassador serves as a messenger to a group of people who are not their own. An ambassador does not promote their own interests. If they do, though, they're just fired. They get called back and they get replaced. But rather, the ambassador advocates for the interest of the one whom they serve. And the interest of the one whom we serve, no, we, we can read it right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we would appeal to the world, be reconciled to God. God has made our sinless shepherd to take the punishment for our sin so that we might be made righteous to live in God's presence forever. God has reconciled us to himself. And now we are his ambassadors with a specific ministry of reconciling the world to God. God has chosen for us, which is quite amazing because I would not choose me. God has chosen for us to be the means by which the message of reconciliation goes out into the world so that Jesus' sheep can hear his voice and follow him. We're called to be ambassadors. And we're also called to be proclaimers. Romans 10, verses 13 through 17, we find this flow of thought. If you want to jot it down, you can look at it later. I would encourage you. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. Everyone who calls on Jesus for salvation will be saved. Amen. But how can they call on Jesus if they haven't believed in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how are they going to hear if no one proclaims the gospel to them? And how is someone going to proclaim the gospel if no one is sent? The feet of those who proclaim the good news are beautiful, but not everyone is going to believe. So faith to believe, verse number 17, super important, faith to believe comes from hearing the proclaimed message about Jesus. If we do not proclaim Christ, people will not hear. And if they do not hear, they will not believe in Jesus and they will not call on him to be saved. If they do not believe, they perish forever. God has chosen that the proclamation about reconciliation between the Father and us happen through those who have already been reconciled. He appeals through us, his ambassadors, his proclaimers. And here it is in Romans 10, 17, a very challenging verse. Faith to believe comes from hearing the proclaimed message about Jesus. God gives faith as a gift. And it comes through your preaching of the gospel. Now, clearly, somebody can read a tract. 
I'm not opposed to that. Somebody can read the Bible and become a believer. I'm not saying that people can't read and become a believer, but the proclamation of the gospel, whether it be through written form or spoken form, that is the means that God has chosen. How will they believe if we are not proclaiming, if we are not taking risks in conversations? So for some of you, your ambassadorial role that you've been given just by virtue of being a sheep, you're an ambassador and you're a proclaimer. Your ambassadorial role will take you beyond the borders of Maine. If you remember the picture of Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it was a multitude of every tongue, tribe, language, nation. And there they are. All these ethnic groups gathered before the throne, worshiping the, flock, worshiping the shepherd as one flock. There are sheep living in places around the world where there are no ambassadors currently. No one is there sharing the good news. And so God sends people. He sends us to proclaim because faith in Jesus comes to the sheep only through the proclamation of the gospel. And so God, could God be stirring in you to be one of those ones who goes as an ambassador one day to another nation to learn another language, maybe two, and you're there to learn another culture? For some of you, your ambassadorial role means that you remain here in your hometown, in this place where you've come, maybe as a transplant, maybe you're from here. But your involvement with the global flock expands because you begin to intentionally pray for missionaries more. You begin to be involved in mobilizing other people to pray or to go overseas on a short-term trip. There is one word that can sum up the role of an ambassador and a proclaimer, whether it's someone who goes overseas, whether it's someone who stays here, does not matter. There's nothing more glorious about being a missionary than being here in your hometown and working a job because both people have to have intentionality. Intentionality really is the key word here. Intentionality means that you look at the relationships that God has put into your life and you think about how this week, how can you move those relationships forward just one step toward the gospel? That might mean you have people over for a cookout or a game night or you go on a hike together. It may mean that it's time for you to take a risk in the conversation. The risk may simply mean hey, is there some way I can pray for you this week? Or hey, I'd like to invite you to church on Sunday. Or hey, can I share with you something recently that God did through his word as I was reading it and something that I learned? I don't know, how, I don't know what the risk is going to be. But it takes intentionality. So my challenge for you today is for your ambassadorial role to include being faithful and intentional right now where you are, where God has you. And then, Lord willing, if there's some way for you and this church, for the, for the if you will, the, the role to be expanded in some way to continue to include those sheep who have not yet heard the shepherd's voice out among the nations. Just a really quick example. In Japan, for every 20,000 every 20, people that you might meet, there's one church. There's one church per 20,000 people. That one church has an average of 25 people. And 15 of them are over 65 years old. Japanese people live a long time. But in 20 years, the majority of our brothers and sisters in Japan are going to be going off into glory. 
the church is going to continue to shrink. It's not growing currently. The vast majority of Japanese people never heard the gospel. It's a very open country. Anybody can move there. You can move there on, on a missionary visa, unlike, say, Oman or Iran or certain countries in the world that you can't go to as a missionary. There are lots of places in the world, and we would be happy to just, if you have questions, free to ask, uh, through Scott or through Eric or Chris or Claude, any of the elders. Like, so where's some places in the world that we could be involved in? Certainly, we'd be happy to recommend. Jesus came to die, to gather all his sheep from around the world. So my challenge is for us to be a part of gathering them in through our proclamation. Right here in Portland, South Portland, wherever you may live in this area, the sheep are here. Let's be intentional to be ambassadors and proclaimers. Let me pray for us as we end our time. Our Father, we give you thanks again for your word and how it challenges us to continue to be faithful and intentional proclaimers and ambassadors. We're thankful that the good shepherd calls us out. He leads us. And we, we recognize that we, in our humanity, in our frail humanity here, it feels, it, it feels hurtful when people reject us. But yet we know that they are rejecting Christ in us. And so help us to see you leading us in triumphal procession and that the aroma of Christ is, is, of knowing you in Christ is going out from us and those who are perishing, they smell death and those who are going to inherit eternal life, they, they smell life. I pray that our confidence would be in your leading. I pray that our confidence would be in you. And whenever we take a risk in the conversation and people kind of shun us or they don't connect with us or they laugh or they do whatever. Help us in that moment, like Jesus said, to, to rejoice and be glad. Because we, we I mean, it, it's just amazing that we, we get to be your ambassadors. It's not natural for us, Father. Please help us. Just pray that this week you would help us bring the people in mind bring people to mind who we can be intentional with this week and then help us to have courage and boldness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.